Well, hey, welcome to First Church. So glad you decided to carve out some time and worship with us today. In addition to everyone here in person, we have tons of people joining us online today. So if you would, put your hands together. Welcome in our online family this morning. So glad to have you guys. I know we have a lot of first-time guests joining us as well. We're especially glad to have you here at First Church. And today, I am super excited because we have a guest speaker that I cannot wait to hear. But before I introduce him, I just want to thank you guys again and the eldership especially for giving me this study break every summer I get this. And we have a lot of fun and exciting stuff planned for this fall and 2022 as well. And I can't wait to unveil some of that stuff and it's going to be coming here in the next few weeks. But thank you for giving me this time to pray and prepare and plan. It's been great. Uh, but also, this gives us the opportunity to have some guest speakers. And today, we have with us Dr. Daniel Overdorf from Johnson University. Uh, he started teaching at Johnson my junior year in college, and I remember when he came on campus with his family, he was, had such an impact, such an influence on the students, and he impacted my life in a great way, just loving to death, and we're honored to have him speak for us. He's a published author, he's written several books, he's also spoke at national conferences like the North American Christian Convention, and also a little detail you may not know about him, when he was in high school in West Virginia, his high school basketball team won their state tournament, so how cool is that? He's a basketball guy as well, and for those those of you guys who only love football, basketball is the round ball, okay? Just want to remind you about that. But we're glad to have Daniel with us, great speaker. And so if you would, put your hands together and give a warm First Church welcome for Daniel Overdorf. I want to thank you for... Just giving me the chance to be part of your church family for, for a weekend. This is uh, it's an honor for me, and it's been a blessing for me to, uh, to be here. So thank, thank you for having me. My, uh, my daughter and I flew in yesterday morning and uh, spent the yesterday afternoon at the gathering place there in Tulsa. It was toasty. It was warm, but uh, really had a good time there. Then I had dinner with um, Chad, Mr. Wedge Salad, brought us, and... Uh, <laughs> got, I've got fried catfish and I eat half of my daughter's pasta bowl and, and yeah, so God, God, God bless him, you know. Um, but uh, but thanks, thanks for letting us be, just be a part of your life for a couple of days here. There's a little boy, uh, he was playing baseball by himself in the backyard. Uh, his parents were watching from the patio and he's got a ball in one hand and he's got a bat in the other. And uh, he, he announces himself, <laughs> now up to bat, <laughs> the greatest hitter in all of baseball. And he tosses the ball up and swings and just completely misses. <laughs> so he announces then, strike one. And he picks up the ball and looks at it for a second and holds the bat and now up to bat, the greatest hitter in the history of baseball. And he, he throws it up and swings and strike two. A third time. And he looks at it, and the greatest hitter in the history of the universe. And he, he tosses it, but strike three. And so he gets the ball and the bat, and he goes, he's, he's looking at him, trying to figure this out, and he sits down. His face is despondent and puzzled, but then his face brightens. And he stands up, and he looks over at his parents, and he says, Mom and Dad, I just struck out the greatest hitter in the history of... <laughs> Thanks for laughing. 
There are some seasons in life when it seems like no matter what you do, you come out the winner. If you're not the greatest hitter, well, then you must be the greatest pitcher. And there, there are those seasons in life when it's like every door is opened to you. Uh, every risk you take leads to reward. Uh, it's as if every opportunity, every project succeeds. <laughs> it's like the whole world is for you. But those seasons don't last very long, do they? And then we enter those seasons when it feels like the whole world is against you. Every door slams in your face. Every road is a dead end. Every risk falls through. And we could talk about job loss and we could talk about relationship struggles. Um, We could talk about health issues, parenting problems. And it seems like when these things start to come into our lives, very quickly they, they become an avalanche. And maybe you can identify. David could identify. King, King David, Old Testament David. David's life is interesting because it kind of catapults between these extremes. On one hand, there will be victory and glory and everything is grand, but then right on the heels of that, there's heartache and regret and agony and and pain. The Psalms that David wrote give voice to his prayers in these different seasons of his life. And that's beneficial for us because these same Psalms then can give voice to our prayers in the different seasons of life that, that we face. This morning, we're going to consider the 27th Psalm. We're continuing your your mixtape series through through the Psalms. And and as we study this one, the 27th Psalm, we're going to try to answer this question. What do you pray when it's as if the whole world is against you? Or, or, Or we'll say it like this. What do we pray when we're at the end of the rope? When every door is slammed in your face, when every risk you take falls through, when every road is a dead end, why do you, what do you pray? Let's begin by just reading the first three verses of, of the 27th Psalm. Psalm 27, one to three. David begins his prayer like this. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. So when David has these enemies pressing in on him, and we don't know if these were literal physical enemies or if there's political things going on, whatever it was that was pressing in on David, he begins his prayer by affirming his confidence in God. By affirming what what he believes. David says the Lord is his light, his stronghold. So, So David says, well then whom shall I fear? The wicked advance, an army presses in, war breaks out against him. Even then, David pronounces, I will be confident. Likewise, 
when it feels like the world is against us, when we're at the end of the rope, we can begin that prayer by affirming our confidence in God. And it's almost like you're beginning the prayer with a pep talk, (laughs) except it's not the normal kind of pep talk. Normally, you're building yourself up. Hey, I, I can do this. Believe in yourself. You're strong enough. Visualize yourself going to victory. But David's confidence isn't in himself. David's confidence is in God. God's got this. God is sovereign. God is big enough. God is powerful enough. He's stronger. Therefore, I will believe in him. And when things are really difficult, you may not feel like saying that, but faith sometimes acts and even speaks beyond our feelings. My uh, sister and her family lived for several years in, in Wisconsin. And at, at their church, uh, their preacher had this little game he did, thing he did with the church that, that they learned and they did a lot. He would, the preacher would say to the church, God is good. And the church would respond, all the time. Some, some of you have done that. You've, you've seen this game. But, but they would do it. It was part of their church culture. God is good all the time. All the time. God is good. Hmm. There's a, a lady in the church, a, a friend of my sister's, who uh, works as a nurse at the local emergency room. And one evening, her shift was about to end, and she was getting ready to, to head home, and a call came in that the ambulance was bringing the, the victim of a motorcycle accident, and so she decides to stay around and help, and, and when they uh, bring in the stretcher from the ambulance, she recognizes her son's tennis shoes from beneath the blanket. He was dead on arrival. When the preacher of the church learned about this tragedy, he hurried to to the hospital to be there with her. And and when he comes walking in, this mother is sitting next to the bed that holds her son's dead body. And she, the mother, chokes out. God is good. All the time. All the time. God is good. We may not feel like it, feel like saying it in that moment, but sometimes we affirm God's goodness despite the circumstances and to enable us to face the circumstances. Jeremiah in the Old Testament did this. Jeremiah's world was, it was literally crumbling around him and he wrote Lamentations. And Jeremiah wrote in Lamentations 3, he said, I I remember my affliction and my wondering, the the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Yet, (laughs) that yet is huge. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. His mercies 
never fail. His compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. Jeremiah says that the bitterness, gall, my soul is downcast. Yet, despite, regardless, nonetheless, however, we affirm our confidence in our sovereign, eternal king. The doctor saw a spot on the scan The cradle is empty. The project fell through. The drunk driver didn't see the stop sign. The disease has no cure. The phone rang at 2 a.m. The news came out of the blue. Yet... Nonetheless, regardless, even so, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Now, this isn't the entire prayer. There's more to come. But this is where David begins. Affirm your confidence in God. And then in the second part of his prayer, David begins to gaze. Continuing in in Psalm 27, verse 4 now. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life. Two, gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon the rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music in my heart to the Lord. Verse four has an interesting progression there. David says, I I will seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord to gaze upon his beauty. Seek to dwell, to gaze. And all of this because, verses five and six, because God keeps me safe, he hides me, he shelters me, I'm gonna worship him. All of this in, in this section of the psalm, it, it, it's a picture of one yielding himself to, enfolding himself in the beauty and the majesty and the glory of God. While in the first part of that prayer, we affirm our confidence in God, in the second part of the prayer, we might not even say a word. Maybe you, maybe you go out on the back porch at your house and, and you gaze upon his beauty. You, you, you see it in the blue sky and the cottony clouds. You hear it in the song of the robin in the morning or the sound of the breeze whistling through the live oak in the afternoon. 
And, and in that silence, as you're gazing on his beauty, you reflect and you meditate and you remember. But all the ways and all the times that God has been faithful. That time when just the amount of money you needed came out of the blue at just the right moment in your life. That time when you were facing such a difficult season and you felt the embrace of a friend and in that embrace you felt the love of the Father. Our sins, which are like scarlet, being made as as white as snow. Remember, reflect, gaze upon him. From from the moment that he breathed life into Adam's nostrils to parting the Red Sea for Moses, his covenant with Abraham, raising Jesus from the dead, through all of human history, God never went to sleep on the job, never neglected a detail, never forgot a single hair on the head of those who follow him. George Whitfield was a great British preacher in the 1700s, and he wrote in his journal about a time he spent in home just gazing on the beauty of God. And this, this is what he wrote. He said, God was pleased to pour into my soul a great spirit of supplication and a sense of his free, distinguishing mercies so filled me with love, humility, and joy, and holy confusion that I could at last only pour out my heart before him in an awful silence. I I was so full that I could not well speak. How How do we pray? When we're at the end of the rope, when all the world is against us. Well, David began by affirming his confidence in God and then gazing upon the beauty of God After this time of gazing, though, David needed to say some things. And I I imagine that the same is true for you. And when we get into the next section of this psalm, it's going to begin in verse 7, we find a stark change in tone. In fact, even a change in grammar. David goes from talking about God to now talking directly to God, pleading with God for mercy. This is picking up now in in verse seven. David says, now again, talking directly to God, hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. So your face, Lord, I will seek. Don't hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You've been my helper. So don't reject me or, or forsake me, God, my savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Don't turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, shouting malicious accusations. You, 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 get, you get this change in tone that David has here, this drastic shift. There's this joyful confidence in God to almost a frantic plea for help. 
And note this quick series of requests as David pleads. Hear my voice, be merciful to me. Do not hide your face. Do not turn your servant away. Don't reject me or forsake me. Teach me, lead me. Don't turn me over. Whatever it was, whatever this enemy was that David was facing, it was at his door and it was looming. And so David pleads with God, begging God to remain faithful. Once we affirm and then gaze, it's certainly appropriate then to plead. God, please don't forget me. Please don't turn away from me. God, you have made some amazing promises in your word. Promises to be near, promises to empower, to give me strength, promises to even bring good out of all things for those who are called according to your purpose. And so God, right now, I need to see those things come to be. I need to see you. I have no more strength. I see no way out of this. And so Lord, please be my helper. This kind of pleading is not only helpful, I, I would say it's necessary to an authentic relationship with God. You see this in the Psalms over and over and over again. People willing to lay their hearts bare. And you know what you'll find? You, you may very well find when we plead before God, we may very well find when we look back, maybe even years later, that God was nearer to us in those times than we ever would have imagined. There's this, this guy named John. When, when John was 13, uh, there was a chemical accident that left him blinded. And as John tells back about that time, he says, I was, I was angry at God. I, I was miserable. I tried to shut everybody out. Didn't want to talk to anybody. I ate all my meals alone in my room. And then one day, John says, his father came into his room and said, so John, winter is coming and the storm windows need to be put up. That's your job. By the time I get home this evening, I want those storm windows up. And then John said, Dad slammed the door and left. John said, I thought, who does he think I am? I'm blind. I can't do that. And John said, I was so angry about it, I decided to do it. <laughs> and, and so he said, I, I felt my way out of my room and down to the garage, and, and, and I found the windows, and I found the tools that I need. I found the ladder. And he said, the whole time I was muttering to myself, okay, I'll, I'll show them. I'll do this, and I'll fall off the ladder, and then they'll have a son that's both blind and paralyzed. <laughs> but he said, I got it done. And he said, later I found out. Never at any moment was my father more than four feet away. He was there the whole time. And he is. There the whole time. 
So plead. Lay your heart open before God. And one day you may look back and see that he was nearer to you then than what you ever imagined. So we affirm, we gaze, we plead. Then what? Well, at the end of his prayer, David waits. Psalm 27, verses 13 and 14. David says, I remain confident. Do you remember back at the beginning of the psalm, David said, even then I will be confident. (laughs) He returns to that confidence now at the end of the prayer. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So wait for the Lord. Be strong, take heart, and wait for the Lord. David remained with his confidence. He he said he will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. David believed that in this life that David would see God bring about a resolution to his dilemma. And so he then would, would wait. And he says it twice, wait for the Lord, be strong and confident, and, and wait for the Lord. This, this word wait, it has the idea of a, a hopeful expectation. It, it's, like, it's like being on the edge of your seat, anticipating, knowing that God is gonna come through, and so I'm gonna sit here and I'm gonna watch and I'm gonna, I'm gonna wait. It's gonna happen. Henry Nowen wrote about, um, it was a conversation that he had with some friends of his who were trapeze artists. <laughs> They're called the Flying Rodellas. And they told Nowen that there's a special relationship between the catcher and the flyer. And what happens is the flyer swings through the air and arches through the air and then let's go. And when he does, when the flyer lets go, his job then is to remain as still as possible, suspended there in midair, trusting that the catcher with his strong arms will will pluck him out of the air. They said that the the flyer must never try to catch the catcher (laughs) because your temptation there is when you're waiting suspended in midair, your temptation is to flail around. They said, no, you do that and and you're in trouble. Now you've got to wait feels vulnerable, feels frightening, but you're trusting that the catcher is going to, going to come through. Some of you are kind of in that vulnerable moment right now where you've let go of what God's called you to let go of. You can't yet feel God's hand catching you And it's tempting to flail around. Please hear David's encouragement. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. And wait for the Lord. There are seasons of life in which we feel very confident. It's as if all the world is for us. I'm the best hitter and the best pitcher in all of baseball. 
Yeah, but those seasons don't last long. And, and we arrive at those times where, and it may come like an avalanche. What do you pray? In those seasons when it's, it's as if all of the world is against you, you're at the end of the rope. Well, we learn from David to affirm our confidence in God, gaze upon his beauty, plead with him, and then wait with expectant hope. You know, when I think about those four elements of this prayer, it strikes me that in a way these are also the same four elements of faith. I mean, what's faith? We're affirming what we believe about God. We we gaze upon his beauty. We lay our hearts open before him, plead with him. And we wait and trust. In fact, maybe that's what David is teaching us to do here. (laughs) Maybe David is teaching us here how to pray our faith. What do you pray at the end of the rope? Pray your faith. Sixty years ago, there was a, a monk uh, named Thomas Merton who wrote a prayer that's uh, become kind of well known. It, it's called the people call it the Merton Prayer, and I think it's just a good example of a way that we can pray our faith alongside of this twenty seventh Psalm. And I would like to end our time together by praying this prayer together. And the words are going to be on the screen here. And I'm, I'm going to read them out loud. And I would invite you to read aloud along with me. Okay. From Thomas Merton. My Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end. Nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I am following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope that I have that desire in all that I'm doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust you always Though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death, I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. Amen.